Hi, I'm Shaylee Shibaxi Ritchie. And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens. Spoiler alert, we are sisters. And best friends. We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved. We had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast. Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of I Am Speaking. Yes. What? No, I said yes. Oh, I thought you were <laughs> gonna. I thought you were gonna sing a song. I will. I will be. But that was awesome because you're like, what? <laughs> I'm totally leaving that in. Um, my song we've been talking about Encanto. So let's see. We don't talk about speaking. No, no. We no. said that. No, we. That's all we do is talk about. No, I know. Speaking. I was gonna turn it. Okay. Okay. Oh, how about this? I, we should talk about speaking. Yes, yes, yes. We should talk about speaking. If you're othered, we invite you to tell your story. Tell your story right now. Okay. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm always impressed by your ability to come up with some good lyrics. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Oh, as Anushka would say, you do that too much. So I think, I think she's That means like, you're well-practiced. You're an expert at it. That's why. That's like, I'm good at it because I just do it a lot. So. Welcome listeners. This week, we are joined by Eris Collins, who is a male nurse. And we get to hear some really interesting stories about what it's like on that side. We did talk to our brother, Dr. Trayu Baxi a little earlier in the season, but now we get to hear about some of the stories from nursing and what it's like to be a male nurse. Eris talked about some of the pitfalls, you know, some of the things that, a lot of things we expected, people going like, what, why, or, you know, really, you're a nurse and things like that. But he also talked about some of the benefits of having a male nurse on the floor, um, you know, how patients open up to him different and how he has used his position as a male it, male in a profession of women who are often, uh, what's the word, uh, like not respected as much as, you know, doctors and things like that to, to highlight some of the ways that nurses are disrespected or, or not treated, like mistreated, that he kind of brought balance to the force there. Yeah. We also had the opportunity to talk to him about his his insight and his thoughts about how to deal with the current nursing shortage. Our listeners may or may not know that this has been pending for many years. Um, and so we get to hear a little bit about the institutions 
and the institutional sexism that that creates problems for nurses in several ways. Um, but you know, as as we're seeing now, the Great Resignation is showing us that working conditions and wages are they're both really important to people choosing to work somewhere. And Eris is able to talk about both of those things. I really enjoyed listening to him. He also has a really soothing voice, doesn't he? He has like a- He does. He's like- I wonder if it's just like nurse voice though. It's like a nurse voice where it's like, all right, Mr. Johnson, we're going to give you your pills. Just lay down. Right, yes, 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 yes. And also, um, I bet you that's our perspective and his three kids would be like, oh, he is not- that is not soothing, right? Like it's all perspective. No, all bets are off when it comes to parents and kids. Yeah, exactly. So enjoy Eris Collins. He is speaking. Hi, my name is Eris Collins. Uh, I go by he, and I am speaking. Hi, Eris. Nice to meet you. Yeah, nice welcome, to meet you. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. So for our listeners today, we have the great pleasure of speaking with um, a male nurse um, who works with our brother, who you may have heard uh, earlier in the season. Um, so we are really excited to explore Eris's ex- experience in the medical industry not as a physician, although, you know, I think we've heard from, you know, we've heard from people about how hard it is to be in a profession where you're not the sort of dominant gender in that profession. Um, and we hear a lot from, from female physicians that they often get mistaken for nurses. And so this is our chance to hear from a male nurse about what that experience is like. So Eris, could you just give us a little background about where you're working now, how you got into nursing, and we'll start from there. So right now, I'm actually, I was uh, working with Dr. Baxi at um, South Suburban Hospital. Um, the past month, though, I actually went into travel nursing. So I'm um, at St. Joseph's in uh, Juliet. I, I got into nursing. I graduated in 2016. Um, so I've been doing it five, almost six years now. Before that, I actually was a sleep technician and an EMT before that. So I've been in the medical field for a while. It just took a little while for me to get into nursing. And what really kind of pushed me over the edge was when my grandmother had became ill. Um, She had had lung cancer. We had her own hospice at home. So, you know, my mom, my brothers, we did a lot of the caretaking of her and me already kind of being in the medical field you know, seeing her going into the hospitals and how the nurses took care of her, it always was kind of something I thought about doing, was just kind of afraid to go back to school. Um, and it was kind of between nursing and physical therapy was kind of the other thing that I was thinking about doing. Um, but when she got sick, that kind of pushed me more towards nursing. And then my wife, she's a teacher. So she's all about me going back to school. <laughs> you know, she's like, you know, just go ahead and do it. And when I was working as a sleep tech, I was working nights. So I was away from home at night. Um, I'd be home with the kids during the day. The longer I did it, it just got harder to sleep during the day. So she's like, you know, just go ahead, go back to school. Time's going to pass anyway. Why not just go ahead and do it? Um, So that was kind of the 
the last push to make me do it, you know, the the lack of sleep from working nights all the time. And then my wife, very supportive of me doing it. And, you know, because going to nursing school is very, very time consuming, more time away from home. So she was very supportive. The, the final shot that pushed me over the edge to go back to school and do it. That is really great. And it's so amazing in all, all respects, right? To have such a supportive partner that, you know, a person who encourages you to pursue your passions and mm-hmm. you know, is willing to be like, hey, it's going to be a little tough for us in the short term, but it's going to be worth it in the long term. But it does sound like your interest in health and helping people started well before you even started thinking about nursing. So can you talk about sort of how you got to be an EMT? Like where did, you know, where would, where did your interest start from there? Yeah. So um, I've always played sports and my older brother played sports and he actually went to, to UIC, played basketball there. He was going into kinesiology, which is like sports medicine, um, physical therapy. And just from being an athlete, I think most athletes, you know, you try to take care of your body. So you want to know how your muscles work and if you get an injury and things like that. And, and I just think from that, I kind of gravitated, you know, towards like a lot of my biology classes and things like that. So it kind of grew from there. Just within my family, we're very open to everyone else taking care of other people. I mean, I've had, I mean, besides my brothers, I have step siblings. So you know, it's just a very accepting, you know, together kind of family. And I just feel from that, I've always felt like I have an obligation to help others. You know, if I can help someone from the knowledge that I know that they don't, you know, I just feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. Wow. We need more people like that, just in general. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And what I'm hearing is that from the very beginning, you felt really compelled and called to help and, and to take care of people with your head and your heart and your hands, like whatever, th- everything that you could do. And then, so being an EMT was sort of the first step. Did you, did you anticipate, you know, were you doing that as sort of like, so I'm gonna do this because this is a relatively easy entry point. I'm not saying it's easy, right? But it's much yeah. easier than starting being nursing like, okay, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to see how this goes. And then I'm going to move in one direction or the other from there. Yeah. And, and actually the way it, it was kind of that way, because when I decided, you know, when I was thinking about going back to school was nursing and physical therapy. Um, the EMT part, it is easier. It's like one class, you know, at a community college or wherever um, that you have to take. And then trying to get on a fire department is the harder part of it. Mm. So I actually um, had got my EMT license and where I lived, I lived in um, North Lake, which is Leiden Township uh, Fire Department. Um, So I had actually got accepted to their program, um, but I was also playing basketball at College of DuPage at the time. I had ended up getting hurt and tore my ACL um, over the summer. So then I couldn't do the firefighter program there. And the next year, the, the city had stopped the program. So then I couldn't even get into the program there. So I was working at like um, Superior, you know, which was a lot of transportation at the hospitals and nursing homes. Fun fact, Dr. Baxi, our brother, Tarayu, was an EMT for Superior before he went to medical school. 
Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of transporting people. My understanding, it's a lot of like, not necessarily like with the sirens going and stuff, but someone is, let's say, too big to get to the hospital via a car. So you have to transport them, that kind of thing. Right. Or let's say someone who, you know, they have dialysis and they have another, a lot of other ailments and they can't get themselves to and from there. Um, or someone who's on oxygen that may be going from the hospital to a nursing home. Right, right. You know, those kind of things. So it's a, it's a lot more transport than actual emergency care. So from there, they actually, uh, while I was working there, then they have a program. Well, they have EMTs, like basic EMTs and, and then paramedics, but they have like contracts, I guess, with other schools where you can, you know, try to become a paramedic and they would pay for your schooling to be a paramedic. So actually I applied at Loyola. I took a test for their program and I was actually first on the waiting list. Oh. I'm thinking someone's not going to accept. They're probably going to get accepted somewhere else and I'll be able to get into this program, but I didn't get called back. That happened to me coming at, going into college too. My number one choice for school at the time, which I'm glad I didn't get into there, but I was number one on the waiting list and they didn't accept anyone off the waiting list that year. And I was like, all right, well, this is clearly not meant to be then. So, yeah. yeah. Right. So, and then, you know, when I finally decided to, to go back to school for nursing, I had, you know, classes I had to take before applying to the program. And then they have like, they call it a T's test, which is like your science, math, reading, writing. And my score for that was above average. I got accepted into that right away. You know, I was trying to take the slower route doing the paramedic thing and didn't get in. <laughs> and nursing, which is, you know, longer harder I got into right away right you know again it, it felt like it was meant to be right yeah the fates were just pushing you in that direction you just right. tried a bunch of other stuff and they're like nope this isn't for you this isn't for you this is for you just do the thing that's for you right how does this align with the work that you did as a sleep technician was that before or after nursing school or during nursing school like I I don't know enough about what the training for a sleep technician is to understand, like, do you need a nursing degree? Do you need a associates? Like what kind of training do you need to do that? And then what was the timing related to nursing school? Yeah. So I was working for an oxygen company through that. Like we delivered like CPAP machines for sleep apnea. Someone, I don't know if it was a sales rep or something. I don't remember for sure. I think it was a sales rep who kind of told me about it. And actually there was a class I took I think it was like a two-week class for the sleep tech thing. They teach you like the wave patterns in that and a little bit of EKG, not, not very into depth with it. And then from there, it's kind of, you know, you kind of find somewhere to work and get training through, you know, where you work. And they do have, they have a registry test that you can take after you've worked so many hours um, in that and become a registered polysomnography technician is the is the term sounds very fancy yeah yeah so after about a, I think it was a year I was able to take that test and then became a, a registered uh, sleep technician I did that for a total of about 10 years the last four years of it is is kind of when I did uh, nursing school um, so I would work nights sometimes I would you know go from work then to a class and then, you know, sometimes I, it would be days I wouldn't have class, but I was still kind of all over the place with my sleep because I was going to school 
um, during the day and then working nights. Does your does your wife not like you and she just didn't want to see you very much? Because no, that's no, why no. <laughs> <laughs> that's why she's like, no, 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 go back to school. So you'll be either in school, you'll be working nights, or you'll be sleeping. And I never have to see you. <laughs> no, she loves me very much. That's why she wanted me to work days <laughs> so she could save me. It was all, you have to do all the hard stuff to get to like where you really wanted to be. Right. And even at, at one point I was working there part-time because it got too much to do it. I was working like four nights a week. It just was too much. So I did that like part-time and then I worked like a T-Mobile for a little bit part-time and I was doing those two in school. <laughs> so it, it was a lot for a while, but in, in the end, you know, it's worth it because I'm days, I don't, I don't work nights anymore, which is fantastic. <laughs> I sleep much better at night. Yeah, there so. you go. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, if you wake up in the middle of the night, you probably in your head, you're like, hmm, I wonder if that was, you know, like you're looking at the wave signs in your head and you're like, hmm, I wonder right. what so then you graduated in 2016 from nursing. Mm -hmm. So like you said, you took that, you didn't take the fast track into nursing, but it was definitely something where you, by the time you graduated, you're like, I definitely want to do this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So then what was your, let's talk about your experience in nursing school then. What was nursing school like for you? We see who comes out of nursing school and we see who's in, who's in nursing. I'm assuming that who goes into nursing school reflects who comes out of nursing school, right. i.e. largely women. When I started, I, wanted, I want to say there's probably seven or nine of us out of like, I think there's like 96 of us total um, in our class. So, so seven or nine men. Men. Out of nearly 100. So, yeah. so less than 10%. Oh, yeah. Yeah. By the end of it, there may have been four or five of us that actually went through and finished the whole thing. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, when I was in my clinicals, maybe one year, there was me and another guy that were in the same clinical, but usually all the clinical groups, and there was eight of us within each clinical group, um, you know, when we would go to the hospitals and um, nursing homes and that, a lot of the other times it was just me, you know, everyone else were, were women. I mean, I think for, for me, um, I was raised by my mom and grandma, so I saw my mom do everything. To me, it's, you know, you just do what, you're, what you have to do within your career because I saw my mom do everything, mm -hmm. you know? So I don't look at a lot of jobs like this is a woman's job or this is a man's job. It's, if that's your job, that's your job. Mm -hmm. And I think me being raised by a woman and seeing her do everything that's the perspective I have yeah there was no like wait till your father gets home she was like the alpha and the omega right right like, if something needs to get fixed she fixed it if something needs to get cooked she cooked it right um, yeah so that that does make sense it, can we take a minute and and I don't want to be weird or put you on the spot which I'm absolutely doing right now so I'm <laughs> failing failing miserably but tell us about your background Right. So we're hearing that you were raised by your mom and your grandmother. So your dad, whoever your dad was, was not in the house as a, as a regular presence. You ha do you have siblings? Yes. So my mom is African-American and Irish. I I'll kind of get into it a little more. Um, my, my grandmother was Irish. She married an African-American. They had my mom. My father is African-American. 
I've actually done an ancestry DNA test. <laughs> I'm actually African-American, Scottish, Irish, and English. So you are, and this I think was the surprise, Dr. Banksy, Treyu thought you were Indian, correct? Yes. Yes. And yes. so, but you are, you actually are half African-American and half other. European. Right. <laughs> European. There we go. Yeah. Northern European. There yes. we go. Yeah. And the reason I wanted to bring that up was you stand out because you're represent, you know, less than 10% of that entire, of your entire class. Did that surprise people even more that you're a big black guy? Like, was that a, was that kind of shocking to people? Did they reflect that back to you? Any surprise that you were one of their cohorts? I wouldn't say necessarily in, in school necessarily that I feel that, but I would say, like when I would tell people, you know, I'm going to nursing school, you know, they would be like, really? Like, why, why nursing? You know, they always ask, like, uh -huh. why? Like, why would you choose that? So, or even like, even now, sometimes when I tell people, they're like, really? You know, and also I'm, I'm 6'2", so I'm pretty, pretty tall. <laughs> I have had, you know, some patients not want me to be their nurse, one, for being a male, two, also for being African-American. Obviously, the, because of my race part is, is hurtful. You know, and the, the male aspect of it, I can understand it. You know, I have a daughter myself. There's always things I tell her to be careful about and, and things. So, and also I know culturally, you know, sometimes a woman can't have a male nurse because you can't, you know, see certain things. So I, I understand that as well, too. The race part of it is, is the hurtful part. Me being a male and, you know, cultural, cultural differences, you know, I understand that. Do, do you ever find that there are, uh, male patients that ask for a male nurse, knowing that there is a male nurse on the floor, right? If women patients, and it's understandable in a certain generation or in certain cultures, which is they're comfortable with someone of their own sex, taking care of them, seeing them unclothed, you know, basically having to do things like catheters. Or like take them to the bathroom and sponge baths and stuff. Yeah. Right. Things like that. So do you, do you find the flip side of that too? Or is it really that both men and women are more comfortable, appear to be more comfortable being taken care of in those ways by women than they are by men? I've seen more women like ask, you know, that they have a female nurse. Men, I don't think really care. Like they don't come forward and ask, oh, can I have a male nurse? But I do notice a lot of times when I come in and it's a male, they're like, oh, they're like shocked that they have a male nurse. And I think sometimes it actually helps them open up to me a little more than they would a female. But I do find that some female tend to ask, you know, right when they're in the hospital, they only want a mm -hmm. female. Uh, where men, it's just when they find out they have a male nurse, they're more shocked that they have a male nurse. Those same females don't bat an eye with a male doctor. Right. Who is also going to see them, also going to, you know, examine them. We talked about a lot of female physicians get assumed that they are nurses. Do people assume that you are the doctor on the floor? Yeah, that happens a lot. They always think that I'm the doctor. Like sometimes I'll come in there on the phone. They're like, oh, the doctor's coming in. I'll call you back. <laughs> you know, I let them know that, you know, I'm the nurse. And but yes, it does happen frequently that they think that I'm the doctor. You'd hear that, you know, you always think that there's a lot of male doctors and that's like the norm of physicians being males. But, you know, just being in the hospital, it's pretty 50-50. 
from what I see in the hospitals that I'm in, it's, it's a lot of both. It's shifting now that you see more, you know, of it being 50-50 than, you know, years ago was many more male doctors. No, that's absolutely true. Um, I think that the challenge for women doctors is that the stereotype, the default is to assume that the man, the male is a doctor. And women doctors get a lot of that, like, I don't want to see you. I want to see a real doctor. I want to see, you know, like, because there is a stereotype about who is the expert or, you know, who's the most responsible or who is the most authority, Mm -hmm. you know, that flips to, to nurses too, which is our father is a doctor, was a urologist, was a urologist for many, many years. Um, our brother is, you know, now a physician as well. And we come from a very medically oriented family, aunts, uncles, cousins, all over the place. And one of the things that every doctor that, you know, in our family talks about is that like nurses are really the backbone of, of hospital care. Mm-hmm. Like doctors flit in and out, but it's really the nurses that have to do the day-to-day, minute-to-minute work, manage their patients, manage the medications, you know, manage food, and then be the conduit or, you know, be the connection between patients and physicians all the time. You know, I also think that people really want to impress their doctors. So a doctor will say, you know, have you been taking your medicine? Oh, absolutely. Every day, 12 o'clock on the nose, And then they leave and then the nurse is the one who finds out, oh, no, 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 you know, Monday I forgot, Tuesday I forgot to get the refill, Thursday I took it at two. The the nurses are really finding out the the truth and like digging down a little bit deeper, you know, unlayering the onion. Uh, Do you find that, that like, because you're seeing those patients like a lot more intimately, a lot more frequently and... Yeah, um, definitely because we're in there, you know, so much more often. And I mean, I can, I can give you an example. I remember a patient that um, I actually was, was floated to another floor that I wasn't normally on. It was a male patient and he had been there for, for a few days already. When I was his nurse, he actually opened up to me and, and said he was feeling very depressed. I think he had had a below the knee amputation you know, he was just very depressed with that and getting back home and being able to be, you know, the provider for his family. And he actually started crying. You know, I let him know, you know, that we do have, you know, psychologists and things that he can speak to. And he had no clue that that was even available to him. I think by me being a male, him opening up to me and feeling safe to cry, you know, versus crying in front of a female, he may have you know, had a certain feeling about that. So then I was able to speak with his attending physician to get a psychologist on board then to see the patient. And even small things is using the bathroom, making sure that someone is, you know, urinating. The doctor may not know that the patient is urinating unless the patient tells them that. But if I've had a patient all day and I've been in and out of there and I know that they haven't gone to the washroom or I've even gotten them to the washroom, you know, or check their pad to see if they're wet, you know, they may not say that to the doctor when the doctor comes in, but um, that's something I'm going to know. And then, you know, we can check if they may have a urinary tract infection and a urinary tract infection isn't caught. It can lead to, you know, uremia and, and, you know, other complications. So definitely, you know, some things we catch that the patient isn't going to tell the physician or even our, our CNAs, you know, they're in there a lot too. There's things that they let us know you know, then we let the doctors know. 
or, you know, try to get orders for this or that. Right. Yeah, I bet. People don't have a full idea of what nursing entails, right? They think, oh, you go in and you like give people their meds and you check and you're like, hey, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. But take temperatures. Right. (laughs) Certainly there are patients who are disoriented, who have dementia, who are um, combative. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of physical labor that goes with nursing the flip side of like a patient not telling a doctor that they have to haven't urinated all day um is that they think that they can do things by themselves yeah you know i remember recently i was in the hospital and a nurse came in and all of a sudden she's like i'll be right back so there was a patient a couple doors down who had like a do not get out of bed by yourself Mm -hmm. and that patient keeps trying to get out of bed by themselves so there's just like not even patient by patient triage, minute by minute triage about like who's doing what, where, and who needs my attention right now. Even not just restraining patients, but helping them to get up and go to the bathroom. So it's not so much just patting people on the forehead or taking temperatures, but A, sometimes you're taking rectal temperatures. Like it's, it's not this like cutesy, pretty, it it is hard grunt work. And, you Mm -hmm. know, when Troy was on, he was like, if anyone looks at Eris and says, like, why is a male being a nurse? I would just have them try to do his job for a day. You're constantly with patients and you're doing like physical labor and mental gymnastics, like yeah. you do and emotional labor. Like every single system in your body is firing almost all the time. Yeah. And COVID has, it has just made it that much harder you know, with one being short-staffed all the time. But, you know, let's say you have a patient that, you know, is normally with it, but now they're confused. You know, sometimes we could call the family, the family could come in, you know, stay in the room with them. Now they have a familiar face. You know, they're they're not as confused. They're not trying to get up out of the bed as much, you know, but now where, you know, we can't have people in the hospital visiting like that. Sometimes we do have to restrain patients more often, you know, which is, we want to try to avoid that as much as we can, you know, restraining someone can make them more confused as well too. Right. Sure. But again, you don't want the patient getting up out of bed because normally they can, but right now they can, and they're confused and end up getting hurt, you know, trying to get out of the bed. Uh, nurse was in the room with you and had to run out because something else was going on. Uh, you know, again, with COVID, you know, I was in a room with the patient their oxygen was in the 60s and 70%, had to get them to ICU, you know, because they needed to be intubated. And at this time, um, the back hall of, of the floor that I was on, they had put rooms up because the ICU was full and they were using those rooms for ICU. Uh, I'm getting my patient back there for ICU. And then, you know, I come out of the room for a second, another CNA is calling me down the hall because my patient's heart rate is in the 30s. And then oh, by boy. the time I get down there, we're calling a cold blue on that patient. Now I got to go do CPR. At that point, it was like towards the beginning of, of COVID, we would have like three patients because we had the staff for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but when you have five, six, seven patients, it becomes very difficult if you have multiple situations like that, because, you know, we're one person. We can only be in one place, you know, at a time. Mm-hmm. Yes. And unfortunately your patients don't wait. 
They're not like, oh, he's busy with this person. I'm going to wait to code. How rude, right? Until he can, <laughs> deal, until he can deal with me. It's very not considerate right, of them. Right. Can you right. see I'm dealing with this patient who has an oxygen problem? Can your heart just hold on for a minute? <laughs> right. How, how else has COVID really complicated your work? Right. There's obviously a, a staffing shortage. There are three things that come off that, you know, that are right sort of top of mind for everyone staffing shortage, space shortage. And we hear about that all the time where, where hospitals are overwhelmed. There's just not enough space to put people mm-hmm. um, for, and there's not enough equipment to help the people who need the intensive care that they need. And then this third bit of like people going into the, you know, the ICU and the ER and then being like resistant to the fact that they are that they're suffering from the effects of an illness that they deny actually exists. Mm-hmm. Do you see that third thing? And then how has COVID just generally affected the workflows that you had before COVID? In every aspect, things are just much slower. I mean, it's it's not just nursing, the shortages. I mean, the respiratory therapist, the pharmacy, like just everything, the lab, like everything is... It's just slower because in every aspect of, of running the hospitals, there's a shortage. Like I was uh, at work the other day, there was only, um, I heard someone say there was only one lab technician there, you know, for the whole hospital, you know, and when you have, you know, orders that you need stat, you know, some of it's not going to be stat because they just don't have the staff to get to it. You know, if someone, you know, let's say you think may have had a stroke and, you know, you want to get them to a CT as as fast as possible, you know, if there's not enough um, radiology technicians, you know, those things are going to take, take longer or like an MRI, you know, for a patient. And, you know, there's been times that one is ordered stat and they're not getting an MRI until the next day, just because there's not the staff there to do it. Cause sometimes, you know, you, you can have a stroke and CT is what they look to first to see if you have one, but it may not show. And then you have an MRI and you may see it in the MRI. So the longer that we delay that care, you know, the treatment changes for that patient that can be provided. The safety aspect of, you know, when you have to care for that many patients is, is very difficult. You know, because like I said, if, if you have two patients, you know, both going down at the same time, you, you can't be there at the same time for both patients. We're hearing a lot about, you know, people having to triage even within patients that are admitted like you have to make decisions that you shouldn't have to make right where you're like do I go to this patient or this patient because they're both going down and there's only one of me as she was talking about all of the things all of these hurdles that we're seeing through COVID we're also seeing a lot of mental stress on healthcare professionals right like so there's a lot of burnout and a lot of compassion fatigue I can imagine you graduated in 2016, three and a half years later, suddenly there's a major pandemic and you're like, oh no, no, like I did not, I'm going to go back to working nights when like, I just had to deal with people sleeping. Have you had to deal with like, how is your burnout? Like, how are you feeling about just like, I can't keep doing this or you're stressed beyond repair. Like what, what are your thoughts about that kind of stuff? I mean, you know, there's been days that you know, I've come ha- come home and, and broke down crying just because of feeling so overwhelmed and feeling like I wish I could have done more. 
not having all, you know all the resources needed to always you know do my job as efficient as, as possible you know because i've seen the difference when you know when we first had covid and we only you know they only gave us three patients max because our, our floor was was all covid patients the care that you can give when you only have three patients that you're taking care of but very very sick you know this is the beginning you know we didn't know much about it you know versus when you have a shortage to me i i just always feel like i want to do the best i can with taking care of my patients you know and i just have a mindset is i'm going to do what i can in the time that i'm here and i've always been a person to treat others how you want to be treated you know i know when my grandmother was in the hospital you know what what my expectations were you know of the staff that was taking care of her so that's the same care that I give my patients, you know, when I'm in the hospital, because if their family comes calling me, I want to have the answers for them, just like I would have wanted the answers for my grandmother when she was sick. You know, so of course, there's times when I get down on myself because I feel like I wish I could have done more within the time frame that I've, I've had, but I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Those moments of feeling down on myself are overcome by me feeling like I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I know there's, I, I mean, I know people that have, you know, altogether just come out of nursing because they're like, oh, this is, it's just way too much. But I feel like I have an obligation to, to help people, you know, because I can, you know, and again, my, my, my wife is, is very supportive, you know, of, you know, me going through this whole process and she's very, you know, when I'm down on myself about it, like, you know, builds me up and reminds me that, you know, look at the path, how easy it was for you to get into school and, and all of that and how well you did in school when you, you know, you were in school. And, you know, so besides my own reminders, I have her reminding me of those things as well, too. What do you think the solution is? Or no, actually, that's not the right question to ask. What are your thoughts about how we can prevent burnout, uh, especially with nurses? And and it's I feel like COVID has really exacerbated the nursing shortage, but that's been an issue for a long time. You know, people who have been paying attention to the situation with nursing have known that there's been this building challenge around staffing hospitals and any sort of medical setting with the right, like sufficient number of nurses. Part of it is the work environment generally, right? I think some people mm -hmm. maybe think it's going to be a little bit less stressful. And then they're like, whoa, this is not for me. Although you think you'd get through nursing school and then, because I know you all have to do practicums. Like you have to be you have to do like real life work. You don't just get to like go through school and like do all theoretical work. And then like, now I'm a nurse, but there's also issues around working conditions and pay. Um, what do you think might help shift things back or help retain nurses or attract nurses, people to the profession? Mm -hmm. I mean, all of us, we work and, and we want to get paid. So I think obviously that's, that's the biggest one. A lot of hospitals now have agency 
within the hospital and there are nurses that left the hospitals they were from to work agency because it's it's paying much more than working in a hospital. What is that agency? Oh, like like an association that then contracts out to the hospitals? Right. Yeah. So like even now I work for a company that I'm contracted to work at St. Joe's, you know, right. for a certain amount of time after my contract up, you know, I may be able to resign there or I can go on to, you know, another hospital, you know, for a contract amount of time. And those contracts tend to be, they tend to be better, like in terms of pay and benefits than if you work directly with a hospital. Right. The pay is, is much, much better. Sometimes the, the benefits, you know, may be a little better still at the hospital, but when the pay is that much better, you, you kind of got to buy your benefits. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm sure at some point the pay scale for hospitals, is going to have to change for nurses because you have so many that are, are going to agency and the hospitals are paying the agency nurses way more than they would, you know, their staff nurse. And even, even myself, if, you know, if I was paid more given a higher rate, I would have preferred to stay where I was at. Um, mm -hmm. Just because myself, you know, knowing everything, I was there for five years, you know, knowing everyone, knowing the doctors, knowing the nurses, the different managers on the floors, that means something to me. And I'm sure a lot of nurses, I mean, you have a lot of nurses who stay at a hospital for years and, and don't leave. And you've had some that have been there for years and have left and now we're doing, you know, agency. So I think if the nurses were paid more at the hospitals, they would have retained more nurses, you know, one, but, you know, I'm not an administrator in the nursing thing. I'm not sure how you know, that all works if they pay agency nurses versus their staff nurses. If, you know, there's a reason why that's okay versus them paying the nurses more. But I think that would be the, the number one thing because I, I think to some people being comfortable where you're at, you know, but when you can make two and three times what you're making, you know, a lot of people are going to move on. Absolutely. You know, and, and even me, I understand that a hospital wouldn't be able to pay me what they would a travel nurse. But if it was more than what I was making and kind of in between that, I would have even been fine with that. Right. Um, and it probably a lot of people would be because you still have nurses that have stayed where they're currently at. And it could be for many reasons. It could be just because they're comfortable. Travel nursing may not fit their family needs. You know, they may have small children and can't move around like that. If the pay was higher on a whole, I think more nurses would have been retained. I would say that's probably the, the biggest um, thing with it because a lot of people see these agency nurses coming in. And now, I mean, I know I, I, I've worked agency now and, you know, see what they're making compared to what, you know, the staff nurses are making. It feels like kind of like a slap in the face, you know, to the nurses that are still there staying and being loyal you know, to the company that they work for. So out of curiosity, as an agency nurse, basically you work for another company and they contract with the hospital to provide nursing services, right? Right. Are you employed by them or are they sort of a placement service? No, I'm employed by them. Like I have some benefits through them, not much because a lot of mine come through my wife, which is why it's a benefit for me. I don't really need the health benefits. I get my pay paycheck through them you know, the little benefits I have through them. Like even now my contract is, it's for 12 weeks. I think I'm on like week five. 
So usually like the halfway point, they'll see about, you know, extending me there, you know, or I could try to go to another hospital, you know, if I would like. So we have a, our, our th- other sister, we have a sister in between us and Trey. She knows somebody who is a travel nurse and he goes to like rural Canada, right? Where it's negative 40 all the time or whatever. Is it volatile like that where you could just be sent anywhere as a travel nurse or uh because like you were saying that you're pretty close to your own home yeah I'm only like 10 minutes from where I, where I live now can they send you can they're like okay you're going to the middle of Kentucky because they need somebody like do they have that kind of power over your placement no so like the company that um I work for you know they on their website have like a list of contracts for hospitals all over the country I searched Illinois because, you know, I have an 11, 14, and my daughter's in in college. She's close, though. She's in Springfield, so not too far. So I didn't want to go, like, too far away. My kids are in sports and stuff. I want to be still around to do that. So on their website, I just searched everything in Illinois, and one of them happened to be 10 minutes from my house. So I just let my recruiter know which places I'm interested in, and then, you know, she tries to get me placed in those places so you could try to stay you know within your state or you can try to go you know wherever you would like so it's not where they just place you wherever you let them know what you're interested in and they try to get you placed right and then they try to get you placed there you know now everywhere is in need of, of nurses so you know like my example I'm a travel nurse but I'm 10 minutes from my house so and actually when I was working at South Suburban I was further away you know, oh, that really? was like a 40, 40 minute drive than where I'm working currently. So, and they weren't paying you enough and you were burned out and stretched to the limit. So I think the pandemic has done one thing in terms of nurse. I think people are leaving and not just nursing, but since we're talking about nursing is people realize their value. And I think nurses, as Shilashi had said, like, you know, they've gotten beaten up so long where it's almost like well, you shouldn't have to get paid. Didn't you get in this to, to like help people? So if you're demanding money, then what are you really doing here? Like, does that make sense? Is that, is that kind of a, this underlying tone that you get? Yes. And, and my wife being a teacher, it's kind of the same thing, right? You know, with yes. teachers, yeah. you know, all of us have to make a living and all of us want to get paid and, you know, want to get paid what we think our worth is. To me, that you know, that's just kind of like an excuse to try to keep things the way they are. Oh yeah, it's total bullshit. I'm just saying that I think that's where it's coming from. But no one says that to doctors, right? Doctors make exponentially more than nurses, and no one's like, "Oh, you got into this to help people, so you shouldn't, you shouldn't demand that much money." I mean, there's multiple things going on here, right? Teachers, nurses, you know, people who work in the nonprofit sector. That's definitely me. Um, I spent my whole life in the community impact sector. The idea is you shouldn't be in it for the money. You should be in it because you care deeply about what you're doing, which yes, people do care deeply about what they're doing for the most part. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't be paid what we're worth, right. you know, sort of a, a living wage. Mm-hmm. But the other bit of it is that industries, professions where women have tended to dominate are underpaid. And this is abs- this is even true in amongst physicians when OBGs, 
were largely men. It was a highly paid field. And once women started moving in there, the, the pay for OBGs has, has gone down. Pediatrics too is- Pediatrics, nurses, teachers, childcare providers, anywhere where women are, are primarily doing the work, the wages tend to stagnate and or decrease because women's work, women's work is not valued the same as men's work. In addition to the sexism that people of the opposite gender face in sort of a traditionally gendered role, you know, as you were saying, like some people don't want me as a nurse because I'm a, a, a man. Mm-hmm. There's that inherent implicit sexism, the institutional sexism that is, this is a woman's job, so it's not as valuable as a man's job, right? And that, and I think we are seeing that come to fruition now. Also, men tend to negotiate and ask for more money. I know people who are making in the same level as me, the same years of experience, the same job. They're making more than me because they've consistently been asking for more money as they go to new jobs and things like that. We're socialized not to rock the boat. Where men have been socialized to be like, no, you ask for what you what you deserve. You ask for it. And now it's all coming to a head because the pandemic has stripped away all of that societal stuff and we're seeing things for what they are. Right. Even when you talk about, oh, you know, people are doing this because, you know, you want to help people or, you know, that's why you get into it. Yeah, that's why you get into it. But look, even over, over the pandemic, over the pandemic, less people have been working, but groceries have gone up. You know, gas has gone up. Why? Because you don't have as many work people working in the trucking industry. So now people have to pay more to transport things. All of those prices are going up. So why shouldn't, you know, people be paid more? Cost of living is going up in a pandemic where less people are working, but the pay should be the same. You know, that doesn't, you know, make sense. That's just an excuse people try to say that, you know, you're in this field to help people. You shouldn't be looking at the money. But in reality, I have to feed my family. You know, I have a daughter that's in college. College isn't free. You know, and she's going to school to be a physician's assistant. You know, her school is going to be a lot of money. So, you know, those are the things that I look at. You know, I have to be compensated my work to provide for my family. You know, and yeah, I'm doing this because this is what I want to do and I want to help people. I also want to help my family as well, too. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's a important distinction between getting paid what you're worth or getting paid a wage that would allow someone to take care of their family, their needs, you know, like not live paycheck to paycheck, right? And then there's a bit of like, I just want more money because I want more money. But we're also, I don't know, we, maybe it's not we, but there are also, if you look at Twitter or Facebook, whatever, you're also seeing people say recruiters and companies are not even offering the pay range and the candidates are being told that they're being greedy or selfish when they actually ask what the pay range is. And there's a bit of like, okay, I'm not just in it for the money, but the money is important. Right. I cannot live on people's good intentions. You can't eat good intentions. You can't eat like being committed to the job. You need the dollars. That's really an important part of the equation. That's not the only part of the equation, but I need to know, are you gonna, is this job 50,000? 100,000, 20,000, 2 million, like that, that all factors into the a person's decision to take a job. 
either either it's a helping profession thing so like you shouldn't actually care about that because what you're really here to do is care about people or like why are you asking about that's that's really selfish and greedy of you is like I, that also I think is contributing to a lot of this churn right now which is people don't want to do jobs like that and people don't want to make to feel crummy because they actually are concerned about putting food on the table and the roof over their heads when all of that isn't the price of all of that is increasing right I mean and even um for for myself like I said if if where I was at if I would have gotten more but not not necessarily what like I make as a travel nurse I would have stayed because it's not always a hundred percent about the pay being comfortable where I was at you know knowing our computer system because now I'm on a completely you know different computer system and it's <laughs> it took a while getting used to and knowing the doctors and you know because when you have a relationship with the doctors and you know they know me as a nurse they trust my opinion about a patient if I come to them about something right you know where now it's like I'm starting fresh the doctors don't know me those kind of things are important too you know so for me I I, I had to make a choice of leaving my comfortability to make more money and, and be a little uncomfortable so it's not always a hundred percent about the money, but it is a part of it. Right. right, right. Although if, if that job was going to offer $2 million, I will apply for it. So. Eris, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask you because you, you referenced just now, you referenced something that I had been thinking about as a travel nurse, you're moving, you know, you could move from place to place to place based on what needs are. And, you know, you said like you have the option to stay generally you're going to have the option to stay, but maybe you go here, maybe you go there. And you just had talked about how, you know, it's important to have a good rapport with the physicians that you're working with and the other staff. As you move, as you've moved around, how have you found that physicians respond to you being a male nurse? Are they a little weird? Does it break down by gender? Does it break down by age? Specialty. Yeah. Specialty. Do you find that some physicians go with the flow a lot better or are, are there others who are a little bit more resistant and reactive? I would say like a, a lot of times, like when I've had interviews, um, I can say like people have asked me, tell me about a time like where you've had a, an uncomfortable situation with the mm -hmm. physician or something like that. And for me, I, I've never really had a, a situation like that. So it's always hard for me to kind of answer that question. You know, there's sometimes nurses will be like, you know, they'll say something about this doctor or like think this doctor is this way. They're kind of mean or, or that. I've never really experienced it. And I don't know if that is because I'm a male. So the approach to me is a little, is a little different. They may not talk to me the same way mm -hmm. that they would a woman. And that, that very well could be. But it's hard for me to say because I've never really experienced that where I've kind of got in a like verbal conflict with uh with the physician where i you know i i have seen and and have heard stories of it happening with other nurses that were female it is hard for me to speak on that because i haven't really experienced it and that could be because of me being a male now i know with like patients like i said sometimes i come into the room and and it's a male and they're you know happy to see that it's another male and they may open up to me differently I think with females, uh, a patient may be a little more snarky and say something that they wouldn't necessarily say to me, 
because I'm a male and, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm 6'2", you know, 230, I'm a bigger male. So they may not say that to me that, like they would to a female. Uh, oh, like if they're frustrated or something? Right. Like not to be funny, but to be cutting. Right. You know, and there's even been times where, you know, patients are confused or, or upset and, you know, they're yelling at a nurse. Like I remember one patient, he like came to the nurse's station and, and was yelling at a nurse. I ended up taking over and being his nurse, you know, and I got him back into the room, not like physically or anything, but, you know, I was talking to him, got him back in the room, calmed him down, but, you know, and he, but he wasn't yelling at me like he was at her. It's probably because, you know, she was a female and I, I was a male, I'm bigger than him. It, it could have been the reason why the situation was diffused. Like, I just felt like there's no way he should be talking to her like this. Like, like he genuinely scared her, you know, the way that he came out of the room and was yelling at her. So, you know, I had just told her, you know, I would just take over, you know, be his nurse for the rest of the day. And he didn't have any more outbursts like that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, patients, you know, sometimes it, I do see that, see it more, but um, with physicians, it's, it's harder for me to speak on that because I never really have had that happen. I mean, that's awesome. I, I don't think Kosha and I are like, please let it be a miserable experience for you. <laughs> it's great. I just think, you know, what your story illustrates about patients is that regardless of what field women are in, there's sex, they get treated differently than men, right? There's always more, there's generally always more respect, deference, you know, given to men, regardless of what field they're in than women, right? And the fact that this guy, this patient that you're talking about, largely expected women to be his nurses, and yet he is mistreating them yelling at them but didn't do that to you it, it just I feel like just so again illustrates like it's not to slide on you or anything but like even in situations where being a man in a you're a man in a field where it's rare to be in that field you still get better treatment than some than women in that field in some situations mm-hmm. right or that physicians would talk about they're female nurses in a way that's a little bit like, oh, she doesn't know what she's doing or blah, blah, blah. But they don't treat, you've never been treated like that. Not to say they don't talk, you know, that they, no one has ever gotten treated like that. But it is like, even in situations where you're kind of the outsider in that field, you get consistently more respect than some of your female peers. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great, that's a great, pick me up note to end our conversation. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So everything sucks for every gender and everything sucks. Uh, We have a therapist who comes on every, um, every season and we just talked to her and she was talking about male therapists because there's not a lot of male therapists um, and how a lot of times male therapists, then everyone's like, Oh, I want the male therapist. And they'll, you know, they'll, they get thrown all of these, all these clients, or they get hit on constantly because they're like, oh, so you're the only man here, blah, blah, blah. Have you noticed that with just in this general, you don't have to call out like, well, Susan kept hitting on me. You don't have to call out individual (laughs) people, but have you noticed a, a, 
objectification or um, at being treated differently on the everyday by your even your colleagues or you know that people have to comment on the fact that you're male I would say in I mean I, I've I've seen like patients hit on like you know their female nurse mm-hmm. you know and I've had patients comment about me looking nice or, or things like that or like if like a colleague may say something or, or whatever I, I do feel that when it comes to like being a male in a, in a female dominated profession, I feel like me being a male, if I say, said something like, oh, your hair looks nice today, that could be taken the wrong way to a female. So, I mean, I, so it's like, I wouldn't even say anything like that, but I could see something like something as normal like that. Oh, did you change your hair color? It looks nice coming from a male could spark an issue versus if one of her female colleagues had said the exact same thing. I'm very mindful of like things like that. But I mean, I definitely see like patients hitting, you know, on the nurses, you know, much more than than I do, (laughs) you know, so because men are just more forward about that just because, you know, men are coming up. It's like you're taught to approach women be a forward be yeah be assertive yeah absolutely so I just think in in that aspect I see it much more being done to women than it being done to myself um or even like you know patient care you know when I have females if I have to do like a foley clean a patient a foley is a catheter right yeah right foley catheter um I always make sure that I bring somebody in the room with me you know, because I don't want anything to be said like, oh, I did this or this and, you know, nobody was there to witness it. So it's my word against, you know, somebody else, you know, also me being African-American, there's all, I always have the feeling of if it's someone who's, you know, white, you know, their word is going to be taken over mine, Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, whenever it comes to like patient care with the female where, you know, I may have to change them or, whatever, you know, I have a female in there with me as well. Yeah. And that's not something that the female nurses really have to to worry about, you know, or the CNAs, you know, they can just, you know, do what they have to do. But for me, you know, I have to make sure someone's available for me to do that, you know, just for my own safety. What's that movie that there's a male nurse uh, with Ben Stiller? It's with the Fockers or whatever. Yeah, meet the Fockers. Yeah. Meet the Fockers. Oh, and then meet the parents was the first one. So I know he's a he's a nurse. He's a male nurse, and um, a, there are a lot of jokes about him being a male nurse in that movie. One of them is like, "What you you weren't smart enough to get into, get into med school? Couldn't be a doctor. <laughs> Couldn't cut it. <laughs> it's ridiculous, right? It's it's done for humor, but." there that stereotype has got to be there is that something you deal with is like this well why would you go into nursing when you could have been a doctor um not a lot but I mean I I have had some people ask me like why not you know be a doctor you know to me that's just way too much cool <laughs> you know that's my answer for it but I don't get it too often but I, I have had some people some people ask that so and my daughter the one who wants to be a physician's assistant people even ask her you know uh 
find out a doctor and, and that's her and she's like i don't want to go to that much of school so or that much debt right right <laughs> yeah yeah well i also think like i alluded to earlier because you know our dad's a, a physician and our brother is not a physician we've kind of had you know first firsthand seats to watch the evolution of medicine how medicine is practiced over the last you know 30 years or so mm-hmm. um and i that's i think also a huge reason why people might choose nursing or being a pa or um a, a nurse practitioner or, or you know something like that rather than go into medicine because it's not it's often not what people went to medical school to do mm-hmm. in hospitals that are basically for profit mm-hmm. you know they they have to doctors are on the clock like you got 15 minutes to talk to your patients and you know you got to get all your charting done and you have to see this many patients a day and so you got to quickly move through them would you say that and, and I know you've been a nurse since 2016 so you're not going to be able to talk about 20 years of nursing mm-hmm. but talking to other nurses who you know have been around longer has the profession of nursing changed a great deal because of the changes in the overall system or is that has has that stayed somewhat stable? Um, I mean, I would say uh, kind of for me, they always want to put more on your plate when you have less time to do it because we have more patients, but it's still expected to get done. If I have six patients and all of them are very sick and you want my charting done at this time and this time or you know, some of that isn't going to happen that way just because I'd rather provide the care for my patients than worrying about putting my eyes and O's in, my intake and output of the patient at 11 and 6 o'clock. There's other things that are more important than that or, you know, because there's like things the hospital wants certain numbers for their data and things like that. You know, some of those things were just it's hard to to try to get all of that done in the time that they would like it done because of the care that we have to provide to the patient. It's, it's very, it's just very hard. So this is actually a really great segue then, right? So now what do we do? Solve the problem. (laughs) That's not quite what I was going to ask, but you know, I think if people, if, if anyone, and this is, you know, certainly you can, your experience is, of who you are being you know a man in a female dominated profession but if anyone is thinking about going into nursing um, or weighing nursing against other careers what advice would you give them and again like when we say when we say advice we're not like the expert advice right but really like your reflections on your journey um, and what people should think about as they're trying to make decisions about hey do i want to go into nursing do I want to be an agency nurse or do I want to be a staff nurse or what are the things I need to be thinking about as I move into this space? Mm -hmm. I mean, what what I would tell people is obviously if you're someone who likes helping people, I think definitely you're going to get that joy out of it. There's definitely a, a hard side to nursing and, you know, you're going to have your days when, you know, you feel down on yourself or you may have lost the patient and you're, you know, crying when you get home. But to know that the things that 
I've learned or that person that's in school is learning the benefit of your knowledge, helping that person um, in their time of need far outweighs any of the stressful days that you're gonna have throughout your nursing career. With nursing, there's just so many opportunities that you can go into, you know, so don't, you know, settle for where you are if there's something else that you may be interested in. You know, go go into that field of nursing, you know, but don't give up on your first job opportunity. It's definitely a lot out there for you to find your niche. Even myself, my I like love, love babies, love babies. I would love to be like on an OB unit, uh-huh. <laughs> taking care of the babies. Like that would be my ultimate number one. Um, but again, me being a, a male, um, I think I've been held back from from doing that. I, I mean, I've applied to many OB yeah. positions, mm-hmm. never gotten called back for any. You know, but even like I've had conversations with people and they, and they kind of like, I can tell like they have looks like, why would you want to do that? But I just, I love babies. It's interesting that people say that because, you know, when I was remotely interested in going to medicine, I wanted to do OBG because that's the only real field where you're like helping bring life into the world and there's a whole bunch of joy. Everything else is basically trying to keep people from dying, right? Mm -hmm. In some way. I could totally see why you'd want to do OB or, you know, pediatrics, like, you know, do the neonatal stuff because it's like, but they're little babies and they're just born. And there's so much joy on that, on that floor, as opposed to anywhere else in the hospital, it's people are worried about someone being sick. Mm-hmm. I don't want to go into medicine, but you know, <laughs> if I were to go into any sort of medical field, that's where I would go because it is so, there's so much joy, mm-hmm. right? As opposed, on balance, there's way more joy than there is um, heartbreak. Now, when there's heartbreak, it's devastating heartbreak, right? But on balance, there's a lot more healthy babies that are born, more happy families than there mm-hmm. are, you know, heartbreaking situations. Whereas like everywhere else in the hospital, it's like, you're sick, you're sick, you're sick, you're sick. Um, so I, I, and I guess it's, I always find it strange that someone would be like, why you're a man, you don't want, why you want to do this? Like, cause they're babies. Like right. it's happy. Have you seen them? They have really tiny cheeks that you can bite. Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, I would say anyone that's, that's going, like I said, going into nursing, you're going to have your ups and downs, but definitely if you're, you know, someone who enjoys helping people and it's not even like, you know, a lot of times you just help people, you may not get a thank you or anything. It's just the fact of me knowing that, you know, I was able to help someone, you know, that is satisfying for me. You know, I don't need the thank yous or, you know, anything like that. So if, if you know that that's the kind of person you are, it would definitely be a good fit for you versus, you know, the days that are going to be stressful because, I mean, you're going to have that in any job. That's important advice, I think, because <laughs> so she is laughing because always we get this beautiful advice, always. And I have said every single episode, and I'll say it now, every single episode, I say, that's good advice for us all because it is. And then- <laughs> right. And then I called myself out on it once. And she's like, you say that every episode. And I'm like, I know, but I edit it out sometimes because, you know, all of our listeners are going to be like, oh my gosh, she said it again. So this time <laughs> I was like very specifically trying not to say it 
but then she started laughing at me. So <laughs> no, that is about um, that is excellent sage wisdom for everyone. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's an excellent use of synonyms. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So um, as we move on, our last question is about familect, which is, you know, dialect within families. There's actually this whole psychology behind, you know, why we talk weird with our families. And a lot of that has to do with shared stories. You, you say something funny or nicknames, like they all start, it starts off funny and then it becomes just part of your vocabulary. And then someone else comes in and goes like, wasn't that, did she just insult you? And like, oh, no, no, that's, that's just how we talk to each other or whatever. That's just how we say. What is, what are examples of your family act? And that could be any small intimate group. It could be your family, you know, with your wife and kids. It could be your nurse, like at the agency or on the floor, I'm sure long nights and, you know, exhausting days uh, lead to some silly translations or you know, word bumbles or something that just become part of your vocabulary. So what are some some examples of your family act? I'll say one with me, me and uh, my wife. Sometimes, you know, when I come home from work, she, uh, <laughs> you know, she'll ask how my day is. But sometimes she doesn't want to know everything because if I start talking about <laughs> certain things, she's uh, like, okay, that's a, that's a little too much. So we just have like... Uh, like a sometimes like a keyword that's like okay I can't okay you're telling me too much now we need to talk about something else is that a specific word or does she pineapple is our word oh, <laughs> no, it is it's like a safe word right yeah it is so like and okay so yeah, that's that too means much. like I don't want to hear about the poop that you had to clean off right. before <laughs> yeah it's always like something gross because you're like and then this 82 year old man fell out of bed and then he pooped everywhere and she's like pineapple right like that oh that's good yeah and people are like that is not that is not appropriate because if someone said that and then if someone said that in the middle of a conversation you'd be like what yeah why do you want pineapple when i'm talking about this patient's poop <laughs> right that's are you weird. even listening to me no <laughs> right because it's like as, as she's asking about my day you know i'm just telling her what's normal to me so you know if that happened it's like okay it just happened but to her it's like okay I don't need to know all that that's a little too much <laughs> that's good that's funny now do you use it with her too when she's talking about her students and and you're like pineapple I don't want to like does it go in reverse or is it usually just the healthcare guy who's being shut down it's usually me being shut down from <laughs> something that I'm saying Although I imagine that there are times when your wife is grading or having to do parent-teacher conferences and things like that, and you're like, pineapple. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Her stories are sometimes, with, with kids, it's, it's very interesting sometimes the things kids say or do or their artwork, or it's it's quite quite funny sometimes. Oh, I can imagine that's true. Yeah, and she has third graders, so. Oh, my daughter's in second grade, so. It's surprising how many things a child of like seven or eight can draw that end up looking like penises. <laughs> yep, exactly. Right? <laughs> yes. I'm like, how is it that you are trying to draw, I don't know, a pineapple and it looks like a penis? Like there's just no way. <laughs> so yeah, I could definitely, I could definitely see that that would be 
comic relief after a while. So yeah, 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 that's true. Well, Eris, we have loved you. You have been yeah. so open and wonderful, and um, we'll have to actually thank our brother for once to for set, doing something right in his life <laughs> by setting us up with you. So we really appreciate your time. Yes, it's been lovely and amazing and insightful from the both of us. I, I only hope things get easier for you and your fellow nurses. I mm-hmm. mean, so much, so much gratitude for the work that you do and you show up every day and thank it's you. one of those thankless professions. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. I really loved the fact that you used your kind of odd, quote unquote, odd position of being a six foot two male nurse to defend some of your female colleagues. Yeah, and being like, that's great. Whoa, whoa, we're not going to, we don't need to talk to her like that. So um, that's, that's super awesome. So keep being you, keep helping people. And thank you so thank much you. for your time. We really enjoyed thank it. Thank you. Until Dr. Bexy, I said hi. <laughs> will do. Thank will. you. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.